Our scripture reading this morning will be from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on the throne, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Today in our study, we're going to be talking about the judgment. And we're going to be focusing on Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. The book of Revelation is really a book of hope. It is a book that accentuates the victory of God's people. Someone has said in times past that when you read the book of Revelation... One of the things that stands out is the fact that as God's people, we ultimately are winners. We stand victorious. And so in chapter 20, John, the writer of the book of Revelation, pictures for us that great and final day in which all men from every generation will be assembled together for the judgment of God. And so as we begin looking at this particular text, the first thing that I would call your attention to is the seat of judgment. As we think about the seat of judgment, I guess the first thing that we would want to address would be the person on the throne. In other words, who is the one that will ultimately judge us on the last day? Before whom will we bow? Well, look at verse 11. In verse 11, John said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 27, that the Father has given him authority to execute judgment. Ultimately, on that great and final day, you and I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be to him that we will give an answer for the deeds done in the human body. In Romans chapter 14, in verse 11, the Bible says, For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 10, similar wording, we are said to all assemble before the judgment seat of Christ. So ultimately one day we will see the king in all his glory sitting upon a throne. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus here pictures that great and final day. And he said he would be seated on the throne of his glory. And so Jesus will one day judge us. He is the one who will sit on the throne of judgment. So the person on the throne. But then there's another thing to consider. 
This has to do with the people before the throne. Look again at what John said. In verse 12, John writes, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. In verse 13, he writes, The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So here we have a picture of all of creation ultimately assembling before the throne of Jehovah God. From a collective standpoint, we think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 31, when he said, before him all the nations would be gathered. That's inclusive of everyone. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, we find the apostle Paul on Mars Hill. He had been in Athens, and there he was said to have been upset because the people were given over to idolatry. And so it was while in Athens that he preached the gospel to these people. He declared unto them the one true and living God. In verse 30, he said, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, for as much as he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. So Jesus said that all the nations would be gathered before him, the Apostle Paul said that God will judge the world. Again, that includes everyone. And then we think about cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, as pictured by Jesus in Matthew 10 at verse 15. Or the cities of Tyre and Sidon, again pictured by Jesus at the judgment in Matthew 11, verse 26. The men of Nineveh. Again, pictured by Jesus at the judgment in Matthew 12 at verse 41. Collectively, we will all be there. But what about individually? Who will be before the throne? Well, John said he saw the dead, the small and the great. We think about people beginning with Adam and Eve and going forward in history. Everyone that has ever graced this earth will ultimately be ushered before the throne of Almighty God. Adam and Eve. Patriarchs like Job, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're reminded of such great characters as Moses and Elijah. The prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others. Those who lived under the law of Moses that are not painted in glowing terms. Men like Ahab. Women like Jezebel. They will be at the judgment. I think about those who crucified Jesus. The Bible speaks of that soldier who pierced the side of Jesus in John 19. He'll be there. All people that have ever graced this earth will be at the judgment. Again, thinking about what Paul said in Romans chapter 14. For we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Individually speaking, that would include you and me. 
There are occasions in this life that you and I, we have the freedom of volition. We can choose as to whether or not we will assemble for a certain presentation, a certain situation. We can also choose to abstain from being at a particular function. But that's not the case when it comes to the judgment. You and I are not going to be at liberty to decide whether or not we're going to be before the throne of God on that great and final day. We will all be there. Death is a certainty in this life. Equally certain is the judgment to come. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 9, verse 27, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. And so first of all, we think about the seat of judgment. But then there's a second thing that we see in our lesson text, and this has to do with the standard of judgment. And really we're talking here about the pattern by which we will be judged. Now, John says that there are going to be some books opened on that great and final day. Look at verse 12 again. John writes, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. What books would John be talking about? I would submit unto you that he's talking about the Old and New Testaments. Those who lived under the patriarchal period, they will be judged accordingly. Those that lived under the Mosaic dispensation, they will be judged according to that law. Those of us that are living today under the New Testament, the New Covenant, the law of Christ, as Paul pictures it in Galatians 6 verse 2, we're going to be judged according to that covenant. And so John said the books will be opened. This is the divine standard of judgment that will be used to gauge how we've lived here upon this earth. Well, what about the Word of God and how it will one day judge us? In Romans chapter 2 at verse 2, Paul said, We know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Pontius Pilate asked on one occasion, what is truth? Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. John 17, verse 17. We're going to be judged on the basis of truth. Listen to what Jesus said in John 12, verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. According to Jesus, the word of God will ultimately judge us on the last day. And since the word of God is going to judge us, that would exclude several things. What would those things be? Well, number one, if God's word is going to judge us, then that would exclude what we think. In other words, human opinion. There are many people in our world today that base what they believe, religiously speaking, on their heart, on feelings. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, at verse 26, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. We need to be very careful 
when we rely on human intuition and feelings. Our feelings will only carry us so far. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, my word is what's going to judge you, not what you think in your heart, not what you believe in your heart, but rather what is recorded in the pages of the Bible. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. We have to be careful about using human intuition, human feelings as a gauge for where we stand religiously. But then also we're not going to be judged on the basis of the majority. Now we are right now in the midst of an election year. And we live in a democratic nation. And our democracy says that whoever gets the most votes, that is the person that will one day hold office. Well, the majority speaks in nations of democracy. But we're not talking about a democracy here. We're not talking about what the majority has to say. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have embraced any number of things contrary to the will of God. Jesus contrasted the broad and wide gate to the narrow gate in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And he said concerning that broad way, many are there that enter in thereat. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. It's not about what the majority says. It's not about what the population has to say about whether or not we're living in accordance with the will of God. But rather, it's what the Bible says. That's why Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. The Bereans of old were said to be commended for their nobility because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. Sometimes individuals will minimize the importance of studying the Bible. Let me ask this question. To those of you that are in school, to those of you that were once in school, when tests were given, what did you do? Did you rely on what you thought? What if the class took a poll and said, what we've been taught does not necessarily coincide with what we read in the book and what we're going to be tested over, so we're just going to give what we think for an answer. How would that go? Well, you, know, you and I know that we would fail. In the school systems across this country, individuals are tested on a body of knowledge. They typically have textbooks. And they understand that if they're going to receive an adequate grade, a passing grade, they're going to have to know what is in that textbook. Now, if you and I are going to be judged on the basis of what the Bible says... It would only stand to reason, at least from my perspective, that we would want to know what the Word of God says. That's why I try to encourage people, read and study and meditate on the truth of God, because ultimately, you're going to see this book again. 
on the day of judgment. John said, the books will be opened. God is going to judge you and me on the basis of what his word says. Not on what we think, not on what the majority says, not on what the population thinks, but rather what the Bible says. And I think on that basis, we can also rule out the creeds and the doctrines of men. Think of all of the creeds and the doctrines that have been penned down through the ages. The interesting thing to me is if you take all of those creeds and all of those doctrines, by and large, they contradict one another. Now you just think about that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, that we are to all speak the same thing. Why is that, Paul? Because we're going to be judged according to the Bible. That is, we're going to be judged on the basis of this one book. That's why we have to all speak the same thing. Because this same book is going to judge all of us. It's not going to be one book for you, another book for somebody else, another book for this section of people. It's going to be the same book. This is the book that's going to be opened on that great and final day. Now, we said there are some books that are open. That's the Bible. There's another book that's going to be opened according to John. Look again at what he says in verse 12. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. What is the book of life? The book of life is simply that divine register or divine book that catalogs the saved. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven? Is your name in the book of life? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul speaks of certain individuals whose names are in the book of life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the Hebrew writer addresses the general assembly and church of the firstborn ones whose names are recorded in heaven. Again, is your name in the book of life? Why is it important for our names to be recorded in the book of life? Look at verse 15. In verse 15, John said, Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now turn to chapter 22, or rather chapter 21. In verse 27, John said, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. These are the books that will be opened. Number one, the Bible. That's going to be opened on the day of judgment. The second book that is opened is the book of life. Will your name be read from the book of life? Can you imagine standing before the throne of God? The books are open. That is the word of God. The book of life is opened and your name is not found in the book of life. Can you imagine that thought? 
There's a third thing that we see in Revelation chapter 20. This has to do with the separation at the judgment. The judgment will ultimately disclose our eternal destinies, our eternal places of abode. In chapter 20, John speaks of the lake of fire. This would be a reference to Gehenna, that is, the hell of fire. In chapter 21, he speaks of heaven, the abode of the righteous. So listen to what he says in verse 14. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right, so those whose names are not in the book of life, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. It is called the lake of fire and brimstone in verse 10, where the beast and the false prophet are. And then listen to what John says. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Eternity is forever. Those who are cast into the lake of fire will will ultimately be tormented day and night forever and ever for the ceaseless ages to come. But then look at chapter 21. In chapter 21, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Let me ask this question. On the day of judgment, when you and I stand before that throne, as Paul said, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. On that great and final day, what will the Lord say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Is that what Jesus will say to you? Or will he say to you, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels? What will the king say to you? Moreover, what will, you, what will be your eternal place of abode? Will it be heaven? Where John said there'll be no more death, there'll be no more tears, no crying, no pain, no sorrow. All of those things have vanished away. Or will it be hell? I know that we live in a world today that does not want to hear about hell. I can appreciate that. I mean, after all, we typically want to hear about good things and pleasant things. But you see, we have to warn people about hell. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 10, Paul talks about the judgment. He said, we will all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 11, he says this, Therefore, 
Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men in light of the judgment to come, in view of the danger of the hell of fire, we do our dead level best to persuade men and women to come to their spiritual senses, to get their hearts and lives in conformity to the will of Almighty God. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. On the day of judgment, God will assign us our eternal destinies. Question, what will the verdict be on the day of judgment for you? I was thinking just a moment ago about some members of my own family that unless they change their ways, they're not going to be in heaven. Now that's hard to think about, but that's a fact. Bear in mind, that's not what God's will is. There may be people in your family that you know right now that unless they make some serious changes in their life, they're going to be lost. I'm convinced that our population, by and large, has absolutely no conception of what it means to be lost. Because if they did, they'd change. If they really understood what it meant to step out onto the plains of eternity outside of Christ, they would change today. But they just don't get it. Right now, there is time and opportunity. Paul said, or rather Peter said, an account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. One of the reasons Jesus has not come back is because God is long-suffering. God is giving you and me time and opportunity. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Let me ask this question. Do you need to respond to heaven's invitation today? Do you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ? If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, you're without hope and without God in this world. Ephesians 2, verse 12. And if the Lord were to come prior to your obedience to the gospel or death were, were to intervene, you would be lost. That's why we make the plea today, come to Christ. What would you need to do? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. Then you have to be faithful until death, according to Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10. If you do that, then the Lord will bestow on you that crown of life that fades not away. Now let me also ask this question. Do you need to be restored to your first love? Sometimes individuals will say to me after a lesson, they will make a statement to the effect that maybe they should have come forward and ask for the prayers of the church. Well, you know, there's no shame in coming forward asking for people to pray for you. It is a privilege. We are the family of God. If we cannot pray for one another, 
then something's wrong. We have the opportunity to pray for one another. And we will be more than happy to go before the throne of God and pray on your behalf. The Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James said confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We can pray with you and for you. Let me just close by saying this. If you need to be restored to your first love, why not do that today? We need you in God's service right here, right now. We need your help. And we want you to go to heaven. We are taking a journey together. That journey will ultimately lead us to the land of Canaan, that is, heaven, spiritual Canaan. And we want you to be there. Come and go with us as we stand and sing. to hide what is he worth to your soul what is he worth what is he worth what is he worth to your soul he died on the for you and for me what is he worth to your soul all that was his for the sinner he gave pointed the path to the goal sin would depray but the Savior would save what is he worth to your soul what is he worth what is he worth what is he worth to your soul he died on the tree for you and for me what is he worth to your soul all who will trust him in sunshine and gloom shall when they reach the bright goal ceasing to roam be forever at home what is he worth to your soul what is he
soul. He died on the tree for you and for me. What is he worth to your soul?